Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Well, go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word, or click in your copy of God's Word, to the book of Matthew. We'll be there for a little while, okay? And so, uh, maybe bookmark it. Starting a new series today in the book of Matthew, and to kind of give you an idea of maybe how long it might take, um, my goal is to get into the Sermon on the Mount before Christmas, and that's not a joke. So, um, Sermon on the Mount is chapter 5, and there's 28 chapters that just kind of gives you an idea. So, bookmark it. Bookmark it. We'll be in Matthew for a little while. And today, to kind of give you a, a taste of the speed we'll be moving at, I want to look at chapter 1, verse 1 today. Again, not a joke. This is what the Word of God says. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That is God's Word. Why only this verse? Why just one verse? Well, I think the entire book's major theme starts in verse 1. I really do. I think think this verse that we just looked at, just read, actually is Matthew's way of hinting to us what he wants to write about for 28 chapters. It would have been last month, Mother's Day. Sarah, uh, she asked me whenever she was getting ready, you like this outfit? How do I look? And I was like, you look great. You look beautiful. And, uh, and she just kind of talked, you know, like, so what do we got planned today? And I was like, yeah, normal Sunday. And she's like, okay. And then uh, a little bit later on, she says, are we doing muffins for moms? I was like, yeah, yeah, Mother's Day. And uh, she's like, that's really nice that you're doing that for, for mothers. And I was like, well, we did it last year too, so <laughs> just uh, not catching hints. We get in the car, and uh, we start driving to church, and she's like, the most bold of all the hints, do you, uh, by chance, have anything to say to me today? And you know, gentlemen, your mind just starts rolling back. What did I do wrong, right? I'm sorry is probably what she's looking, but, and I was like, I already told you, you look nice. You look, you look beautiful, babe. Right? And she's like, that's it. Okay. All right. And then, happy Mother's Day. I'm so sorry. I am so thankful for you, the way you mother our son. And, and uh, trying to, you know, dig myself out of that hole. Usually I dig it deeper. But um, she, she was dropping hints all morning to get me to say, happy Mother's Day. And I wasn't catching the hints until I did, and then I looked back and I was like, that's what you were saying. That's what you meant. That's why you asked about the muffins. I didn't, and I had an, like an aha moment, right, where the light bulb turns on and it just dawns on me. That's what she was hinting at. Well, I think that's what Matthew wants from us here. As we read through the entire book of Matthew, when we look back, we'll have an aha moment. That's why he wrote verse 1 the way he did. Oh, He was actually hinting 
to us about the theme that he once woven through the whole book. Starting in the very first verses. And this isn't unique to Matthew. Let me say, John does this too. John drops hints in the very first verse about what he wants that book to be about. And what he wants his readers to get out of it. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. Now, that's woven all the way through the whole book of John. All the different I am statements that is showing he is uniquely God. But then at the very last, next to last chapter, the crescendo of John's book, Jesus presents himself to the disciples, right? Goes through the door, it's locked. And he goes up to Thomas, his disciple who had the most doubt. And he finally accepts it. Accepts what? Then he says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hand. Put, your, put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him. This is the crescendo. John's been building up to this. Somebody to realize and say, my Lord, my God. In the beginning was the Word. He was with God and he was God. Mark does it too. Mark drops hints in the very first verse about what he wants us to get out of his gospel account. It says, in the beginning, or sorry, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Okay, Matthew, or okay, Mark. He says it from the very beginning, the Son of God, and by the, it's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and by the middle of Mark is 16 chapters, right in the middle, chapter 8, we see that Peter finally recognizes, partially, kind of like a, like a man that is kind of blurry visioned. He kind of sees it. We're halfway there, halfway through the book. Jesus asks them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Okay, we've got half of it here. Chapter 8, halfway, we've got half of the answer. And it's not till the end of the book that out of the mouth of the one who was participating in Jesus' own crucifixion. The enemy of Christ is the one who recognizes what Mark wants us to see. Mark 15, the last little part of the book, it says, when the centurion who stood facing him saw in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. Mark gave us a hint, verse 1. And Matthew does the exact same thing. He drops a hint about what the whole book is about. Let me read it one more time. In the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the what? The son of David, son of Abraham. What are you trying to tell us here, Matthew? What do you want us to look for here, Matthew? This is the theme that he wants us to notice, that Jesus is the king of the world, the king of the world, the king of the whole world. All the nations will bow to King Jesus. How do you get that out of son of David and son of Abraham? Well, we'll get there. That's what we're going to spend our time looking at. But as we go through the book of Matthew, we're going to see unraveling in the book this reality that son of David and son of Abraham means king of all the nations. So let's get there. Firstly, Matthew wants us to know that Jesus is the king of Israel. 
He's the king that Israel was waiting for. And now, once I start talking about king of Israel, not king of you, king of the nations, he's king of Israel. I think some of us are maybe quick to check out and be like, snooze. All right, because we're quick to make the Bible all about us. What does the Bible say to me? Right, and we kind of, honesty hour, right? Can we get bored? If it's about, about people that we're not a part of, right? You start reading about the people of Tyre and the people of Assyria and the ancient people of Israel. Because we read the Bible as if it's about me, we might get bored in all these parts that it's about other people. But the reality is, is that the Bible is not about you. It's not about Isaac. No, it's a, the Bible tells the story of all God's people from start to finish. Our people. It really tells the story of our heritage, our history, doesn't it? God's people starts with one man. Abraham turns into a family, turns into a nation. And what a tragedy it would be if we just got bored with that because, well, I just want the Bible about me. The story of that one man that turned into a family, that turned into a nation, that brought the Christ. That's the story of our heritage. That's the story of our forefathers in faith. And so Jesus came to be the king that Israel our forefathers and faith were waiting for. And so to see that Jesus as the king of Israel, we, we have to go back and we have to study Israel's greatest king. You don't know who that is? David. David was the best king that Israel ever had. He had what Scripture says, a heart after God's own heart. David. And before he died, before David died, God promised to bless David's son Solomon, the son of David. God said he would bless this son of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says, when your days are fulfilled, it's talking to David here, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is to David about the son of David. Here's the problem. Solomon was a train wreck. There's the problem. I mean, he was a man with a lot of wisdom. God gave him that. But by the end of his life, he ended up becoming a train wreck. He committed a lot of sin. And he was not the godly king that Israel needed. So Matthew comes, and Matthew writes, Jesus is the son of David that Israel needed and needs. He is the true king of Israel. 
He is the son of David, the one who the kingdom will rest on, the one who will sit on the throne of the kingdom that will last forever. And we, we can just see this theme that Matthew really wants us to see it, not only in verse 1, but actually if you go through the whole book of Matthew, fun fact, Matthew says the word kingdom 55 times in 28 chapters. That averages two times a chapter. He needs to talk about the kingdom of God. Kingdom this, kingdom that. Every chapter. It's almost as if Matthew wants us to catch on to something about the son of David and the kingdom of God. Jesus' authority and kingship over God's people is really all over the book of Matthew. I can only hit a few highlights. Okay, so hope your pen's clicked. Ready? Pen to paper. Let's start seeing smoke. Jesus' authority and kingship is seen from the very beginning of the book of Matthew. Obviously, verse 1, chapter 1. But even in the first couple chapters, when John the Baptist comes on the scene and he starts announcing Jesus' arrival, how does he phrase it? What we see in Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He knew Jesus came. Here comes the kingdom. And even before that, in chapter 2, the wise men, we all love the wise men. They make a nice, what is that called for Christmas? Yeah. What's it called? No, the little um, thing that you put up on your mantle. doesn't matter. Okay. We love the wise men. And they go to King Herod, the one who's ruling and oppressing the people of God, Israel. The wise men come to King Herod. This had to have been a huge ego, just crusher. They go to King Herod, and what do they ask him? Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, he really wants you to know, this guy's the king too. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? <laughs> and Herod's like, <clears throat> what? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. You can only imagine what Herod must have been thinking there. Herod was a Roman, and he wanted to be the ruler of Israel. He wanted to be the king with no competition. He wanted his kingdom. And he didn't like to hear that his kingdom now has a new king. Isn't that true for all of us, though? Right? I love to be the king in my life. And I really need an ego check sometimes to hear I'm not the king of my life. People are coming to worship Jesus, the true king. In fact, actually, I had somebody this week come and came out and knocked on our doors here at the church. I was working, and we just got talking for a little bit and telling her about the church a little bit. And, uh, and she said, well, I just got to tell you, I have heard great things about Emmanuel Baptist Church. I, I really have. I've heard um, some incredible things about your church, just very kind, welcome, very welcoming, and just went on and on. I was like, hey, praise God, amen, and she goes, now, who are you, though? And I was like, I'm Isaac, the senior pastor, <laughs> and, uh, and she goes, oh, okay, yeah, no, never heard, well, I've never heard of you, but I'm sure you're great, too, <laughs> and you know what? I thought that was awesome, seriously. That's incredible, 
that the report is not going out of look at the senior pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church, but no, look at God's church doing God's work. It's not about Isaac. This isn't Isaac's kingdom. And if it ever becomes that way, what a tragedy and idolatry that is in my own heart. I thought it was awesome. That God is glorified, not Isaac. It's true for all of us. We all need our pride checked sometimes, like Herod did. You're not the king. Where's the real king? Jesus. We also see his authority during the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5 through 7. We see it at the very beginning of the sermon. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. This is not coincidental that Matthew says that. But seeing the crowd, he went up onto a mountain above everybody. And he sat down. That's so easy to read through. Like, okay, yeah, he sat down. Big deal. Think about the imagery that Matthew is depicting here. Jesus ascends a mountain over the people and he sits as if on a throne. We also see the imagery there of how he's the new Moses going up the mountain to to speak the word of God to the people of God. But that's another. We're supposed to see this image of him sitting high and lifted up. During the sermon, he speaks with authority that is equal to Scripture. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. That's Scripture, right? That's Exodus 20, the, the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery. But I say, whoa, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. Something that Judah's been doing now lately is he'll go to mom and say, can I have candy? She'll say, no. And I'll go to dad and say, can I have candy? And I say, sure. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I say, well, what did mom say? say? No. He actually tells the truth half the time. <laughs> no. And I said, okay, well, the answer is no. Because she has authority over you and I have authority over you as parents. We're standing together on our ruling. Jesus has equal authority with the word of God. The word of God has said, thou shalt not commit adultery. And Jesus says, I've got something to say too. Equal authority with the word of God. He speaks as one who has authority. And by the end of the sermon, all the people are recognizing that exact reality. If you go to the very end of the sermon, Matthew chapter 7, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowd, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their own scribes. And this authority is no small authority. In fact, it's the authority of God to do things that only God can do. You just go two more chapters, Matthew chapter 9 so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to what? To forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Matthew wants us to see that Jesus has authority, and not any small authority. He has the authority of God to do what only God can do. This is high kingly authority, the king of kings kind of authority. And what's really amazing is, as his ambassadors, you know what an ambassador is, right? They go on behalf of the king to go send a message for the king. As Jesus' ambassadors, you and I, the church, we walk with the authority of our king. 
Matthew chapter 10, the next chapter. He called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. Now, got to pump the brakes here and be careful because obviously this does not mean that we are apostles like the 12, right? Don't go around saying, I'm apostle this and I'm an apostle that. That is, we don't have apostolic authority. We certainly don't have divine authority, right? So be very careful to start going around and demanding cancer to leave a person's body. You might just lead to a lot of discouragement for them. And so be careful with understanding what it means that we have authority. What I think it does mean is when God puts His Spirit in His people, thus some kind of authority, and I think that means that we can share the gospel with boldness. Right? We are walking with the authority and the approval and the stamp of God to go forward, to preach boldly, knowing my King sent me, and He sent me with His Spirit. That has some authority to it. So not only was Herod a little bit upset about this, the religious leaders weren't too happy either. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, right? Not just Herod. These guys were upset too because Jesus' authority challenged their authority over the Jews, over Israel, right? So these Pharisees, they, they finally confront Jesus in the book of Matthew. And it's very interesting the question they end up posing to him. They don't like how he's been showing all this authority, how he's been speaking like one who has authority. And so they come up to him, and what do they say? Matthew 21. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him, came up to him as he was teaching, and they said, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. <laughs> I love that. And if you'll tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from men? Are they going to approve John or disapprove of John? They discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, then he will say to us, why then do you not believe him? But if we say from men, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, the safe answer, political answer, we don't know. He said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, I love the cleverness of Jesus to kind of catch them in their own little trap that they were putting on him. But part of me just wants to say, get him, Jesus, you know? <laughs> Tell him. Tell him what authority you've got. And he doesn't. Why doesn't he? He could have just said, oh, I'll tell you what authority I've got. He doesn't. Why? Well, because they probably would have crucified him, and his time of ministry wasn't over. But he hadn't forgotten their question. He tucked it in his back pocket, and once he was crucified, and he rose again, after his ministry on earth is done, and he's about to ascend to heaven, he answers their question, the last verses of the book of Matthew. Jesus came and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All authority, all authority has been given to Jesus. He is the long-awaited King of Israel, challenging both Herod and the Pharisees. Nobody challenges the kingship of Christ over Israel. But He's not only the King of Israel, is He? All authority in heaven and all over earth. He's the king everywhere. And that leads to the second point. He is the king not only of Israel, he's the king of the world. He is the son of Abraham. This is where he gets, this is where Matthew gets this idea of son of Abraham. Again, to understand this, we have to go back and do a study of who this Abraham was. Abraham was a righteous man, right? He didn't come from a family that served God, right? He wasn't like a fourth-generation Christian, right? But he was a righteous man who served the living God. And for this, God made a covenant with Abraham that would affect the whole world. Do you remember this? Genesis 17. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations. The kings shall come from you. This is Abraham. The kings shall come from you to all the nations. And Matthew wants us to know he's not only the son of David. No, he is the long-awaited son of Abraham. He's the one who brings the blessing of the kingdom of God to all the nations outside of Israel. We see this in the genealogy. We'll get into that next week really exciting part of Scripture. Really, it is, so you should, you should come. There's some amazing things about the genealogy, but we see this kingship over all the nations, even in the genealogy, because the genealogy is not just people from Israel. If you notice, it's people from a bunch of nations that have been grafted in to the story of Israel. And it's from these multiple nations that we get Jesus, the king that will rule all of them. We see this in the people that Jesus ministers to, ministers to throughout the book of Matthew. He doesn't just spend his time talking to Israelites, does he? He could. But he goes to a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier, Matthew chapter 8, to a Canaanite woman. What are you doing speaking to a Canaanite, Jesus? Well, his kingdom goes far beyond Israel. So he speaks to a Roman. He speaks to a Canaanite, Matthew 15. And it's, it's not just coincidental who he feeds with the two loaves and the multiple fish. You know that story, right? I'll grow with that. Grew up with that felt board story of the fish. Just me? Felt board? Okay, all right, all right, good. You know he does that twice, right? He f feeds the multitude twice. 
First, he feeds the Jews, Matthew 14. But then the second multitude, chapter 15, is to the Gentiles. He first came to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. But he feeds all of them. This is the message that we're to get from that, that Jesus is the bread of life for all who turn to him. Jew or non-Jew, regardless of your history, Jesus is the bread of life. And all of this leads up to the last words of the entire book. Jesus calls his disciples to spread his kingship to all people. Go, therefore, and make disciples not just in Israel. No, no, no. I've got my view on the horizons of much more. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These are the last words of the book of Matthew. We want, Matthew wants us to see it is a blessing to be under the kingship of Christ. Now, it's a blessing to live in the United States of America, right? Infinitely more of a blessing is to be a citizen of heaven under the kingship of Christ. Infinitely more. Therefore, we need to promote the kingdom of God to all people and all opportunities. Tell everyone who's able and willing to listen that Jesus lived in the place of you. He lived in the place of me, lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. He died in our place for the sins that we committed and He would never dream of committing. He rose for our new life. And because of this action, because of all those actions, because of who He is, He deserves all efforts of obedience and full submission on our part to his kingship and lordship in our lives. He deserves it. And we need to tell people that. But I think the blessing of the kingdom of God for all people doesn't just mean to go around and tell people the gospel. It certainly does, and that's most important. It's most important. But I think it also means Very practical, tangible, physical things as well. What do I mean by that? Well, we'll get to it soon in Matthew chapter 6 where in the Lord's Prayer, right? We know, if you know the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, right? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. If we're going to pray those words, we should also be willing to make that happen. Try to make the kingdom of God visible on earth. In very practical and tangible ways. Yes, preach the gospel to people, but also work to make this sin-infested world look more like the kingdom of God. So that means building Christian schools, Right? That's why Christians have made hospitals all over. Do you notice that? Hospitals are oftentimes made by professing Christians. That's why we do disaster relief when tragedy strikes. That's why we have food pantries. 
why Christians should serve in food pantries. That's why we should just be kind to people as we walk down the street. All of this is so that we would shine our light so they may glorify our King in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth. So, wrapping up, I told you there was enough just in verse 1. Matthew starts and ends his book. He bookends it, really, with this very theme. Jesus is the king who blesses the whole world. The first verse, he's the son of David. The last few verses, all authority then is given to him. First verse, he's the son of Abraham. Last verse, preach to the nations. All the nations. Jesus is the king for the world. This is the message of Matthew. This is the message of the whole Bible. There's no greater news than King Jesus brings the blessing of his kingdom from heaven to earth. That's the message of the Bible, guys. I pray that's the truth that is at the center of your life as well. If he's not the king of your life, I'd love to talk to you, truly. I mean that. I'd love to talk to you today. If he's not the king of your life, if you weren't able to sing those songs we were singing to the king of kings and the good and gracious king, I'd love to talk to you. His kingship is not a burden to be annoyed by. Like, oh, I'm a slave to this kingship of Christ. No, no, no. It's not a, it's not a burden. It's a blessing to be thankful for to serve such a good and gracious king. If you do bow your knee to King Jesus, I invite you to join in just a minute to sing to the high king of heaven. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.